You're tuned in to the Bruh's Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Imagine being the firstborn son to a Somalian warrior in a conflict territory where you were raised to fight with honor being your code and there's no room for fear. You've been prepared for anything. You're trained to be unbreakable. Then you relocate to America and discover the battle that's being fought on this soil was something that you were unprepared for. The psychological traumatization from America's racism breaks you, chips at your confidence, and ultimately retreats you back to your homeland. The Bruh's Bookshelf presents to you Boya J. Farah's memoir, America Made Me a Black Man. Give it up. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens. I'm here with my line brother, the Deuce Dog, Mr. Donovan Snipe. What up, though? And we have the smooth, silky baritone voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton III. And we have two special guests joining us today on the podcast. Yeah. First, I'd like to introduce Miss Kat. She is one part of a duo, Kat and Moni, from the Fab Podcast. Yeah. And that stands for Fake Ass Book Club. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> Check her out on F8B Podcast, Fake Ass Book Club Podcast, and they pretty much do the same thing we do, but it's in a different format, different flavor. But it's I like the to same think of you guys thing. as our brother podcast and we're your sister podcast. Okay, it is. I like that. That's dope. And, and then, Harvey, I'm going to let you introduce our next guest. Duh, this brother I've known, shoot, back since middle school, elementary school, Pop Warner football, um, one of my homeboys from Durham. Um, it's interesting. The book we're going to read tonight, um, the brother's uh, father wanted him to be a medical doctor. This brother is a medical doctor. And I'm going to say it this way. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there like this. Y'all remember watching uh, the, the Cosby show? Y'all know how people used to be like, that's some bullshit, ain't no such thing? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Not in Durham, North Carolina, where I'm from. We had the real-life Cosby show, and we got Theo. <laughs> Listen, this dude right here, this dude is, he is a solid brother. He always did the right thing. Um, um, like stand up dude, and if I ever saw somebody who I thought was Theo Huxable, it's this brother Mark Hines right here, man. So I gotta, Mark, I ain't never, <laughs> I ain't never told you that before, Mark. But I always thought of you as like Theo Huxable, dog. You always been like that kind of dude that was always like straight up, solid, and always positive, bro. <laughs> man, well, welcome to the podcast, y'all. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> And Theo had hoes. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Did he? <laughs> Mark, can you can you wear that moniker? 
of Theo. Can you stick your chest out? Of, of Theo. No, no, no. Of the other part. Of having hoes? Yeah. My wife is in the other room. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> she she you she she settled down her. with Justine. She knows she got settled down with Justine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. we're talking about hair. We ain't talking about hair. We're talking about in the past tense. Yeah, we talking about recording. You got to be real. All right, sorry. We'll keep it respectful. Yo, Mark, tell the people how they can reach you, bro. Yeah, I'm a, I'm here in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm a nephrologist at uh, Columbia Nephrology. If anybody out there has any questions regarding uh, kidney health, high blood pressure, diabetes, you can shoot me an email. It's M as in Mark Hines, H-I-N-E-S, at colaneph, C-O-L-A-N-E-P-H.com. Hey, but Lenny, let me say this, though. You know how we do the round robin on how we pick our books? Yeah. I picked this book because Mark sent it to me. You know, that's what's up. Mark sent me this book. Mark always, you know, look out for me, give me good books to read, keep me on my toes. And um, I'm happy to have him here. He probably can't stay on here long. He got some important stuff he got to do in the morning. But I um, wanted to give him this opportunity to um, to kind of join us, man. So really happy to have him here. Happy to have you here, too, Kat. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, Mark, what made you pick up this book and read this book? Um, I. I have been reading a lot of nonfiction lately. I've been reading a series by Joan Vassar. I don't know if y'all are familiar with her, but she writes a series. I'm reading a series called Black. Um, and it's actually a, a nonfiction series. It's based on uh, Nat Turner's son. So Nat Turner's son is like riding through the South doing what Nat Turner was doing. And the book is awesome. So like I'm going on Amazon trying to get the next series and it suggested this. And I looked at the... um the back cover and I thought it was really interesting here. It was this refugee kid from Somalia who immigrated here through war and um, kind of society assigned to him what they wanted him to be. And, you know, America, uh, the system made him a black man and his coming to grips with that. So I just thought it was an interesting book. And I shot the picture to Harvey and said, yo, this is what I'm reading. Cause you know, we often bounce books off each other and, Next thing you know, he tells me y'all are doing the podcast on. I'm familiar with your podcast because Harvey always sends it to me and I listen. And he said y'all were doing the podcast and actually talking to to the author today. Um, and so I was just happy to jump on and, and, and be with you all to, to talk about it. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, man. Kat, what you think about the book? I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, I picked it up because I heard you guys were going to be reading it and I've been wanting to be on the podcast. So this is also to just I've the books I've read about the Somali immigrant experience have always been from a female perspective. So this has been my first book from a male perspective. So it was very enlightening. Donovan, what was your thought? I thought it was an excellent story. Um, I liked how his life, even though he was an immigrant, it's still kind of like a, a lot of things in his life paralleled the experience of like African-Americans who are born here. Like um, there are like a lot of things in this story. I was like, well, I had the same shit happen to me, too. And I ain't even, you know, I was born here. So I liked how he broke down how you can think you're not, I guess, a part of this oppressive system or affected by it. But if you ain't white, you black. And you're going to see just how black we treat you in America. So I I really enjoyed this book. Donovan, I, I feel like you, man. I feel like um, 
you know, a lot of times people try to find ways to escape and pretend that this stuff isn't happening. And um, to have an outsider come in, give his perspective, I thought it was uh, it was brilliant that it aligned with a lot of the things that are what we experience here, or at least what I've experienced. And um, I will say this, though, Mark, I love like jumping into these books without doing any like heads up. You know, I don't know what I'm going to read. Right. And so I looked at the cover and was like, what is this? This is because they always get on me about picking the black books. Right. So I'm looking at the cover like probably <laughs> likes trauma porn. Like, here we go with some trauma porn. <laughs> and I thought it might have been some police stuff. I think I think the cover might have had blue on the I don't know. I thought yeah. it might have had something to do with the police, which it does, obviously. Um, um, yeah. And, and and when it just opens up with the with the with the narrative, you know, the George Floyd, I was like, man, this is I ain't in the mood for this right now, Mark. This is this is not what I want right. to read. We read this before over read and over this again. So many times. Yeah, like George Ford got everybody wanting to pick up a pen and, oh. and voice voice their feelings. Oh man. But and it was I, different. I hate it was to a sound twist. like that. But it's you know, it's like, you know, we know that happened. Well, anyway. This book didn't stay there long at all. So, like, like, how long did it take for you to get wrapped up into it before you know you was like, yeah, this is something I want to pass off to somebody else? Um, I thought he did a good job of grabbing you kind of quick. Um, it wasn't one of those where you got to, you know, get four and five chapters in before you'd be like, okay, now we're getting to the meat of it. Um, I, I, I love how he kind of flipped back and forth between – his time in Somalia and his time in America. And no matter where he was in his time in America, he often referenced back to his time in Somalia. Um, and so it was a couple of times I was reading the book and I even felt like, dang, is he is he like dreaming this part or is this real? And then it, it was just, to me, it was a page turner. Um, and I read it rather quickly. Um, but no, I thought it, it kind of grabbed me from the opening credits if it was a movie, right? I mean, I was, I was, Head over heels as soon as I turned the first couple of pages. Cat, did you did you feel the same way? Did, did it jump you? Did you get into it from the beginning? Very much so. I love an immigrant to America tale because I feel like what is um, projected about America is very different from the reality. And I also feel as like black people, we always feel like refugees in our own country. So I've always related very heavily to people who come over here. And um, so, yeah, I was immediately on board. To to your point, Kat, that was one of the things that was very interesting in the book to me when he was describing uh, the way America's black, America, black people is projected in Africa. And he was able to see both sides. He was able to see how we are projected in Africa and how the Africans are projected mm-hmm. in America with the flies on their face, starving, half naked. Descended belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. African booty yeah. scratcher, like uh, like Harvey would say. Yeah. African booty scratcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that was very real. Yeah, and so, um, hey, and so no, like this to give you the power of racism and how it's... It, how powerful that is, how they control the narrative and the visions in our minds on how things are. Because he came over here, he said, um, I think he said this in the interview uh, this morning, he said he got on a bus and two black guys got on the bus, you know, and they was having on the uh, fresh gear and everything. And he said he got scared because he was conditioned to be afraid of us. Yeah, dog, we, we black, black men look, look, we powerful, dog. I mean, and it, and it does turn Transcend itself in the field sometimes. 
But I thought he also said in his book, though, I thought he mentioned the fact that um about, you know, seeing naked Africans on TV. And that wasn't something that he saw living as a nomad. And that I don't know how I mean, that was that was deep to me when he said that, you know. He painted this picture of nomadic life like very um, intentional, very peaceful, but at the same time very um, res- responsive and in tune with the environment. Um, and and the fact that he would go as far as to say that white racism is tougher than living in the in the in the in the jungle. <laughs> hey man, we. we- I've heard that before, like um, referencing Cola Booth. She's a Sudanese American writer, but reading her autobiography, she made the same observation and she watched her parents get murdered. And she was like, it was still like America was worse. That's really telling, though. Like, is that a common conversation? I think it might be just because somebody else was having a conversation of just about how American slavery is so much drastically different than any other type of slavery and then like the problems that black americans have they kind of are rooted in slavery but they're more so rooted in those years after slavery right so like the whole reconstruction era the whole uh jim crow era the whole redlining era the whole segregation era and like those things are like multi-generational protracted going um, and going and going and they're maintained right so like you know a war you might only be in war for like a a few decades, right? And then people's attitudes change, people move, things get different, and then there's like no war no more. But with racism, white supremacy, it is constantly being refined, reintroduced, reimagined, um, and put upon a people. And that's a very different situation than like a war. Like a war is here and it's over, whereas this white supremacy shit is like, well, I'm going to treat you horrible, I might treat you a little bit better than last week, but I'm going to tell my kid to treat you horrible and to treat your kid horrible. And I'm going to put all of these things within the social strata to kind of reinforce those things. And like, there's nothing like it in the world. There's, there's no other type of weapon or warfare or propaganda machine that can rival white supremacy racism. Yeah, it is worse than war. I mean, it is war. It, it's a, it's just a different type of warfare. It's just a cold war that's quiet with lots of silent weapons. Well, let me let me, let me ask this, Donovan. Let me ask this before Mark run off. Mark, it, it's war, psychological, physical. Yeah, you talked definitely. about what it did to his body. So I'm just curious, like like from from a medical perspective, like. You know, are you ready to talk about that yet? Like the experience of racism and what it's doing to us health wise here in the country? I mean, yeah. I mean, you you look at it for yourself. It's not many health disparities that we don't lead. Right. I mean, from diabetes to blood pressure, to heart disease, to cancer, to HIV. If we get it, we get it worse than them. So with that old adage, when they say, you know, if white folks catch a cold, we get pneumonia or the flu. It's true. I mean, stressors break you down. If white people sneeze, right. we get pneumonia. <laughs> you know, yeah. Environmental if they just will sneeze. Break you, down. Um, you know, everything from food deserts, you know, all that stuff plays a role into your overall health, right? If you can't eat right, how are you going to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, and everything else? So, I mean, yeah, the stress of, of, of day to day will definitely. Uh, manifest itself in different ways. And it always doesn't, you know, necessarily be depression, but it can be that your, you know, your health is failing, your heart is failing, you know, your mind is failing. 
Um, and that's a lot of it, man. And, you know, a lot of times when people come to the doctor, sometimes I just sit and listen and I have to tell them, you know, ain't no, there's no medicine to fix what you're going through. But, you know, there's other issues at play here, right? We as Americans want a pill for everything. And some things they're just not a pill for. So I wish when some of my patients came in and they always want me to give them something, and sometimes I just have to listen and kind of coach them and counsel them. And there's no medicine for this, right? There's other factors playing here. And you have to be aware of that when you're talking and dealing with people. Are any of you familiar with uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, her book, The Deepest Well, um, uh, Healing the Long-Term Effects? Uh, she really gets into the A scores and how like early childhood trauma. Yeah, she she gets into that and how it really affects your health, where we we have these strokes and we have all this hypertension. Like you said, he went back to his country with prediabetes and all these things that were physically taking a toll on him because the mind suffers and the body cries out. Can you enlighten us on what ACE scores are? Adverse childhood experiences. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ACEs is adverse childhood experiences. Um, We're talking about things like um, witnessing your parents fight, um, having uh, substance abuse, uh, sexual molestation, um, having to move rapidly because somebody lost a job. Um, having to miss a meal because I'm getting hemmed up by the yeah, police. police, your parents incarcerated. It's like, I think it's eight. It's like 14, 10 to 14. I yeah. think so. And it's like, the more you have, <laughs> I am not shouldn't be playing with that, but you know, I, I think the scary part is when I do like a, just a non-clinical inventory of my personal lived experiences and the lived experiences of the folks we know, we check off a lot of those boxes and we do a great job of like, it's interesting within the community. Some of us have been able to figure out a way to weather it, navigate and become, um, you know, able to pick and choose what they want to deal with, so to speak. Whereas for some folks, it can just really consume them and take them down a whole nother trajectory. So I just put it that way. But a- adverse childhood experiences. Jesus. Thank you. I learned something every show. He went back to his country to heal, and he was also experiencing irritable bowel syndrome, and he didn't know what that was coming from. His stress levels were so high. And it also was messing with him because he's a man of morals, a man of honor, and they were doing things to him, like making him go against his friend. Hey, you know, uh, I see that you've been spending a lot of time with Derek, and uh, how about we don't want to see Derek in your office again? And he's trying to figure out and make sense of it. Like, what does that have to do with my job, my performance? Because he's from a place (laughs) where it's absolute. Like, if there's a threat and you get rid of the threat, the threat is gone. His trying to make sense of stuff was like... Right, right. The comedy of the book is like, come on, man. This don't even make no sense. Why are we doing this? Right. And so he wasn't wasn't conditioned to that type of Mm -mm. torture. Right. You know, going against your friends, just doing little insidious things that makes no sense other than you could just direct it all the way go back to I'm black. He was so auspicious. He was like, man, I survived war. We were nomadic. You know, it was hyenas and all these other kind of things. I'll be okay. And the black people at his job was like, yeah, okay. You know, (laughs) until it finally warmed down and they was like, I told you. I told you. Mm -hmm. Nobody can escape this. Nobody can escape it. Hey, Mark. We grew up, we listened to that hip-hop music. 
We was all over that hip hop music. We went to A&T with that hip hop music. Boy, it was all over that hip hop music. What do you think about his music choice and how he dealt with music? So the one of the first records I remember playing very low, so my parents didn't know I was listening to it, was that NWA Straight Outta Compton Mouth. I was in the fifth grade, had no business to it. And the fact that he was talking about listening to NWA, the Straight Outta Compton album, F the Police and everything else, I was like, how does dude grow up that far away from me and have the same music choices I have and the same feelings, right? (laughs) And and, and what also is interesting to me is his mother told him the same thing my mother told me. Same thing my mama told me. You can't do what them white boys do. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. get her right. And she was right. Yeah, yeah, she was telling to his boy. brother. <laughs> right. But that's some right. all black parents. So that's one of those. Told me, so. Yeah. That's like one of those things, like um, one of those things that is just passed on. Like we don't know how we know, but we know we know it. Like step on a crack. And everybody know the rest, you know, like we just all know this because the society understands the importance of this lesson. Don't fuck with the police because they're going to kill you. Don't think you can be out here playing with your white friends on the things your white friends be doing and think you're not going to get in bigger trouble than your white friends. Like his brother had to find out, like, look, I know you didn't steal the car. You was just sitting in the car that your white friend came and picked you up in. But guess what? Guess who going to jail? Yo, black ass. Why? Because you black. And that's just a it's, fuck. That's just a, a the, reality and, of America. Like, police officer. Yeah, think the about police this. officer wanted to take them off. With, with that, <laughs> yeah, even with that, in America, you have to have a job. You have to feed your family, and sometimes our mm-hmm. job requires us to do things that go against what we believe in. Like the police officer, mm-hmm. she had to come over to his house out of uniform, and he spoke about this double consciousness. You know, so yeah. he was like. He was like, oh, my God, this is real. This is what people are talking about. And I'm reading a book like, and, and I spoke to Harvey earlier. We read the book like, dude, you knew to this. We've been doing this. We've been conditioning True this in, in kindergarten when we've been playing. We playing tag and then we get in trouble because we're being too aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, we're getting singled out as black men. So we've been conditioned to this this treatment as youth, we grew up in this. It's, it's almost like a fish complaining about water, you know, but he was new to it and he was like in all about it. It was a big surprise to him. He was, y'all, he's actually traumatized by this. Yeah, he, he, he well, it, As it he should be, because you know what? We're a little traumatized this shit don't too. make he sense. Just, he just expressed it yeah. a little differently. You think exactly. we just express it a little differently? Yeah. I yeah. mean, we, yeah. we, we definitely were carry some of those scars. Trauma. And like Harvey said, we probably just learned how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's true because every time, like, that's why I don't really watch the news. But when I watch the news and something crazy happens here in Atlanta, I always get a feeling like, please don't let it be black. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's pretty universal. Yeah, you, you, we, Can I ask you a question? Please. So, what it made me very aware of is sort of the gap that is intentionally driven between American black people and African people. Mm-hmm. Like, so do any of you gentlemen, like, do you have any African friends or do you like, have you felt any animosity from African people? 
I got a lot of African friends and I've never directly felt any animosity. Like all of my experiences, okay. Nigerians, uh, Kenyans, um, um, uh, I know some Ethiopians. people, Ethiopians, some people from Mali. <laughs> like I know some people from the Sudan, like everybody who I've ever dealt with, whether it be um, uh, social interactions, I've had students in my class. I've never felt any personal hate from from anybody from the continent. I have. Okay. I have. Okay. And okay. And, and, and it, and you it got all a very depend- unique experience, though, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk I don't about think that it's experience. That unique, though. I I hear that from a lot <laughs> it, of. A, a lot of black people that they they either have very negative ideas towards Africans or they've had very negative interactions like towards them from Africa. Well, it depends on how long they've been here, too. You know, yeah. and also if, keep if in they've mind been that's here long design. enough to have that that boya effect, then they will understand. You mm-hmm. know, OK, uh, I spoke I, I spoke earlier today. And one thing about what they see and, and, and what's projected is they're looking at a socially engineered person. The American black man, we're the only socially engineered beings that's on this planet. So they're seeing... Well, women too. Well, I'm sorry. Black people. Black people. Black Americans. We're socially engineered to be the way that we are. So with whatever they see on TV... That is what they made us to be. But this is and but he also didn't understand it's not, that it's, it's also the propaganda they see because what we see on TV ain't even necessarily real shit. It's fake. Just like the stuff we were seeing about them. Like there is a concerted, persistent, deliberate effort to defame, um, marginalize, and make black people look stupid, crazy, violent, and just non-human beings. And we the first people on the planet. So like it's not accidental that like he, he animalistic he yeah it's not accidental that those Africans a lot of Africans feel like American black Americans ain't shit because they've been taught that well hey they got all these opportunities America's the land of milk and honey if you come here as long as you land on the shores you're good everybody gets treated equal so there should be no reason why you are in the place that you're in and then if they're here long enough they learn that ain't really true. But if they're here for like the, the first couple five years, it's like, well, yeah. I'm getting all this aid. They're doing all this stuff for me as an immigrant. I can't believe that you can't um, make it in America because look at all the shit I'm getting. Y'all American, black Americans are just lazy. Y'all just don't want to work. Y'all ain't used to shit. Yada, 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 yada. And then that just brings a great well, you know, vibe. It was, it was interesting that he, he talked about, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to hear from Mark. Oh, my bad, Mark. I didn't mean Regarding what? Which part? What's your experience with Africans? So, I, yes. you know, in medicine, there's a lot of of, of uh, Africans um, in medicine. My experiences have been fairly pleasant. I haven't had any uh, bad experiences um, because where I am in South Carolina, it's only a few of us anyway. So we tend to gravitate to each other and they've been here long enough to kind of understand a little bit. And so they kind of have that some of those shared experiences as well. Um, and so we have, we often have the same conversations. Uh, so I, I haven't had any um, negative experiences. Okay. I, my, my experience was the Africans because Columbia. I went to I'm sorry. Oh, Go I ahead, went to I'll... growing up. I had a very unique experience of having gone to an all white school, all black neighborhood and an integrated church. 
And so the church I went to was sort of an international church. We had a white pastor, but the congregation was all different types of people. And a lot of them were African. So my I'm very used to being around Africans. That's very comfortable to me. So when I encountered them in the world, it was I didn't learn that there was animosity until I was an adult. And then to me, it was very puzzling because I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Our enemy is obviously whiteness. Well, you know, I've I've done things like um, in a classroom setting, shown documentaries um, to Africans and to black people about Africa, right? Um, similar to the way Boya and his mom watched African documentaries and they learn about themselves on television. But one of the things I've do, done is I've shown videos uh, of like um, the Twa people and I've shown the video and I'll put the video on mute. And I let the audience tell their own story. And then I would play the video back and let the, the audience hear the narration. And they're then confronted with the reality that this somebody's telling them something different than what they actually see. Mm-hmm. Because we see the fact, we see the greatness. We see it when we look at it without their influence. But their narration is telling us all kinds of ill things. So um, you know, that was that was something that I that I kind of thought was interesting in the um in the story. Hey, you know what? I was I was wondering when I was reading this story, and maybe it was just me, I was wondering um about his love life in a weird kind of way. Cause I was kind of curious where that I was going about to go. That too. Where that was going to go. And I was just curious. You you thought about it too, Lenny? Yeah, because he mentioned something about celibacy. He talked about celibacy, he talked about how the great poets get all the women. Um, you know, he talked about a lot of things that, you know, I don't know if it was the brevity of the book that didn't allow him to to go into further stuff. But I was just kind of curious. I was wondering if anybody else thought he you know, left that part out or was was curious about that. Well, at one part well, of the no, book, he talked about he going to pick up a young lady or dating a young lady. Right. Right. And then he just never went back to it. Um, so, yeah, I often had a few questions about that as well. Hmm. Do you think we it was so because American. of the stress of just whatever other stuff he was dealing with in life? He was just like, I don't got time for this right now. I think because of their culture, they don't really like, like when you're dating, you're kind of like all in. Like, because he was saying like the fact that Americans kind of just have all this, like sex was weird to him because like people in Somalia usually don't have sex until they get married. <laughs> like, Yeah, like AIDS, how am I going to get AIDS? I'm, I ain't even... I ain't had sex yet. Like we don't be having sex like that. We have sex when we get married, and then that's just the end of that. Like people don't just be running around with AIDS. Like, <laughs> he was talking about um, dating and saying that you know, since they're Muslim and they practice mm-hmm. abstinence, that's all nice in theory, but AIDS does get spread around there. Like that's not <laughs> an actually speech, realistic speech. depiction of human sexuality. And so having read Somali women's, because um, what was sort of left out of the narrative, which does make sense from his perspective is the abuse that's often passed on to black women from black men because of the constant oppression. And so it's not, it seems to me like he didn't do that, but that isn't always the case. And having reading from red Somali women, like there is sex going on there. So So, 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 Kat, to that point, I was thinking about his mom a lot through the book. mm -hmm. And I was just wondering like, you know, what was her life like? Just can't speak the language, 
And did she not have a companion? And was that the companion that he brought in from the airport that time? You know, I was wondering about. <laughs> My guess is she was probably, for one, circumcised. Like she's probably what? more than likely being a Somali Muslim woman. She's a survivor of genital female genital mutilation. Like it's not something that is discussed often. But if you were just going to mm. just if you were playing the odds, I would put money on she's probably a survivor of that procedure. And um, but she does sound like an extraordinary woman. I feel like she was sort of the um, unsung hero of the story. Oh, absolutely. Well, he did dedicate it to her and women like her, though. So in the acknowledgments, that was fantastic. That sounds horrible. Yeah. And you know what else sounds horrible? How he just described his circumcision and his daddy put pepper on it. Listen. Like, you a man now. Listen. Man. Listen. You get over quick pain. Listen. Listen. Knock me out. You ain't about to just grab my penis and then just catch it off. Keep it inside. Don't be putting it anywhere. Like, and how you know I mean, where to cut? Like, how does that I mean, work? Like, what, what, what you got to get sexual organs? Like, what they do to you? So you what know. is everyone's feeling on circumcision in general, male or female? Because I, I was recording a podcast earlier and we were discussing this and it was fascinating. <laughs> well, Just messy first. isn't messy. <laughs> this is completely going different from the book, but we, we can roll with it. It was in the book, though. They talked it. about yeah, circumcision. Yeah, it was in the book. Yeah, I wouldn't do it like you that. Let the book I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that way. You wouldn't. Have, you wouldn't advise it that way, Mark. I, nah, man. <laughs> I need general anesthesia. If I you um, cut me off. <laughs> I think it's weird. Like I, I was circumcised as a baby, so I don't remember not ever same. being circumcised. But I do mm-hmm. remember like being in the third grade, and you know how. You 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 stand back and see who can pee the furthest from the urinal. Sure. And I saw and I saw my friend, and he wasn't <laughs> circumcised. And I was like, "What is that?" And yeah, I was like, "It looked like an ant eater, right?" And and then he pulled That's the, the chair back, and it freaked me out. Life. And uh, <laughs> and I, and I remember, you know, I remember saying, "Man, can I touch it?" And I remember not touch the skin. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was I was so enamored oh, by it. I was shit. like, man, I've never you're seen curious. anything that's like that. That's what kids do, though. That's, that's exactly what kids, what kids do. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Exactly so I was just, do. I was enamored by it. And so I was wondering why mine didn't look like kids. And I didn't know anything about the procedure of circumcision until I got older. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand. And then some cultures <laughs> don't do it. So when I when we went to go take my son to go get circumcised, the doctor mm-hmm. that was there was saying, you know, this is a very unnecessary procedure. And, you know, and he told Maybe us what? and, and you know, and he, and he mm-hmm. went through and he, and he was saying like Haitian men don't do it. And a lot of At African all. men uh, don't do it. At all. And so, um, hoodie. so that my thoughts is, I think it's a, I think it's a Europeanized thing, you know, that we do it. And then I also heard that if you don't get circumcised, then you won't, then there's a little bit more growth that you can have with that little extra skin so it can get a little bit bigger. A little flesh. A little tickler. You got a tickler. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Moisture. (laughs) More moisture will make you more sensitive and then it'll be... Exactly. That's one. I also heard that that is a thing though. Like I heard from men who like have gotten circumcisions as an adult and they said like the sensitivity went from like a 15 to like a 3. 
I'm like, well, it was. Wait, that sucks. I missed like, that last time. Like, from you know? 15 to what? To like a he three. Like, they just three. Said, Yikes. Yeah, like if they if they were like to compare it to because like all of that skin still has nerves on it, so like it still gets stimulated. So it's like, well, it doesn't quite feel as good without it. And I'm like, well, damn. I, yeah, well, I, I'm circumcised as well, I've so I, I don't know the experience to- without it. I I feel like a lot circumcision is such an ancient practice. I think it goes back to discouraging masturbation because men who are uncircumcised don't need lube to masturbate. Really? So, yes, a lot of times men who are circumcised are kind of late to the masturbation what? party because they have to figure out how to do it. And so if you're uncircumcised, it's natural. It's much more natural to do. Same thing with women. (laughs) Women who are uncircumcised, masturbation is much easier than women who are circumcised. So I don't even know what circumcised woman like. That's another show. yeah, yeah, like I didn't yeah. even think it was even it's possible usually, to get any type of so sexual pleasure. To, once. There's, yeah. because Hold on, of, we do have a doctor on, on online. I am a kidney doctor. Yeah, yeah too. This is why you invited doctor. Go ahead, go ahead, Kat. Go ahead. The 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 clitoris has just recently been mapped, so it's not just the little man in the boat it's actually a much larger organ than they were aware of so the nerve endings go they they discovered this by doing the surgeries on trans people the urology the urologist we just think of this little thing as the clit and a lot of times in female circumcision that is what is excised but even when you cut that off there is still the organ that's left in the different labia so you can still get enjoyment, pleasure, orgasm without the what we perceive as the, the visual clitoris. But it's like an iceberg. So there's the part that's sticking out, but there's more underneath. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest reading um, Alice Walker's Possessing the Secret of Joy. I uh, read that yes. in high school, and that's how I learned about um, FGM. And it's a centuries actually millennia long process that human beings have been doing for a long time fortunately it didn't gain popularity in america the way that male circumcision did but um yeah i actually put that in my notes to talk about because to me that really stood out in the circumcision scene in uh color purple well hold on is it is it is it is it like circumcision also in the muslim and jewish faith a religious thing it is definitely, definitely a part Jewish. of the Bible. Well, it's faith. in the Bible. Yes, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of comedic science as well. They circumcise well. So I, you know, when just going back to, I think what what Lennon was saying, where they said Africans don't do it. I guess it depends on what region they're in and what their religion is. Um, yeah. Yeah, what they believe in. Yeah. Yeah, because all it's Africans ain't the same. Huge. Did anybody? <laughs> did anybody else feel bad mm-hmm. for Derek, or was I the only one? I felt terrible for him. I didn't feel bad for Derek because it's par for the course. I mean, hell, yeah, I was I think Derek so before, you know. Yeah, I think because I felt like we've been Derek. Like that's just the story that you're gonna have. I was hoping he would have found his voice at some point, but it seems like America always has a way of making the 
you know, the big black guy, you know, he's always the scary one. So you have to kind of lower your voice and be polite and be respectful. Oh, be jovial. Right. I think the other part about it is, um, Mark, I think uh, when it comes to finding his voice, I remember my preacher had a sermon one time. He's like, you ask a man who he is and he'll tell you his job. And so I think for a lot of brothers, you know, our identity is wrapped up in our employment. And so that voice, mm-hmm. it may not develop the same kind of way. You know, Boyer was on, he, he, he had a different orientation in how he saw himself. Whereas, you know, Derek loses his job. And unfortunately, we know what happened to him. You know, he never did, you know, he never was able to recover, you know. And so I think that becomes, the you know, the challenging part that, that Boyer, um, he had the luxury of leaving, going somewhere else, and he didn't have to deal with it in the long run. But I think um, that's how I saw that. Boyer had yeah. a hometown, a home country to go to. Yeah. Derek mm-hmm. didn't have that option. He didn't right? have that option. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of black men, we, we don't learn how to be malleable. We don't learn how to pivot. Uh, anybody knows me. My where I live, what I call home is where where the bills are paid. I would pack up and leave in a heartbeat. And a lot of us are stuck where we are from and we don't really understand, you know, how to move and chase the money. And and that can be, be depressing nomadic. as well. It's so <laughs> many layers to this thing about being depressed. Uh, Harvey yeah. wrote this article and he had this article published in, in the medium. And it was funny because this article came out and uh, he did this. You did this article before we even picked this book. Correct, Harvey? I, I have been working on it. And like, I ain't gonna lie. Like, as soon as I started reading the book, like I put the book down and, and had to finish the article. Right. I and the name off. of the article is How to Survive Microaggressions, Book Breaking and Falsehood of Respectability Politics. Just like Biggie has the 10 crack commandments, Harvey has these rules. How to survive and be a successful, non-threatening black man. Here are a few rules. Number one, the fastest way for a black person to get to the top is to diss other black people. Number two, to be in the C-suite, you must have no known black associates. Number three, never rep a HBCU as an educational institution. Four, do not have social media supporting anything positive that black people do. Number five, if there's a black person in power, just cheer for them and don't expect shit to change for you. Number six, never talk about racism or social issues as systematic or in public. Number seven, tell young black boys to pull their pants up and cut their hair. Uh, number eight, tell black men to stop making babies and leaving. Number nine, tell black women to raise their children and stay out of clubs. And number 10, praise white Jesus. It sounds like this is a joke. It sounds like this is funny. <laughs> it's not funny at all. No. <laughs> it's the it's truth. It's not funny at all. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's the same story wherever yeah. you go in America. Uh, respectability <laughs> politics are useless. Yeah, because the white supremacy is the same across the country. That's why, like, our conditioning is the same no matter where we go, because white whiteness and white supremacy treats us all the same no matter where we go that's why when people be like how you live in the south they're so racist down here i'm like no the races down here are at least honest and they tell me they don't like black people the races up north in the midwest they kind of polite and you think they like you but they really trying to kill you and that's the shit yeah. i don't like 
Yeah. It's all Kool-Aid. Yeah, it's just different flavors. Speak on mm-hmm. that respectability politics that you're talking about. What's your thoughts on that? You can probably tell from my voice. Like, I went to school with mostly people who consider themselves white. So it's kind of funny because when they see me, the way I present, the way I talk, they think I'm one of the good ones. And so mm. it's always very funny when I actually have encounters with people who consider themselves white because I'm not one of the good ones. Like there's um, I don't like church. Um, I like to cuss. Um, I know very much where I'm from and what I was bred for. And I'm not with it. Like I work for myself. Like when he talked about like the office stuff, because when I first had my first office job, I think it was in my 20s. I was in the very privileged position of not supporting a family. I was I had a family to fall back on. So if I lost that job, it didn't matter. And so those white people did not like me at all because I constantly stood up for myself and was like, I'm not doing work that I'm not being paid for. And if you want to fire me and start doing this work, you're welcome to. And I remember there was an Indian lady I worked with and she was like, I can't believe you said that. And I was like, they ain't gonna fire me because I'm here until five and that chick leaves at two every day I know she's not trying to be here like I was very aware of my environment because I grew up in most predominant I already knew the game so I knew like there's no point in me working super hard can I also say too I was coming into this book coming off of reading Octavia Butler's Kindred Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I think we're going to do that one next. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll also say Fake Ass Book Club. That's the podcast I do. So we read a lot of books. So I'm coming off of this. So I learned a long time ago. You Fake Ass Book Club? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Fake Ass Book Club with Moni and Kat. Tune in. Uh, We read a lot of books. And this is, we always have a joke that our co host is white supremacy. Um, because it comes up in pretty much every book up. we talk about, it just keeps showing up. So it's, it's very real. So to me, I would always advise people to not play that game. It's a losing game. You will look Absolutely. up and your life will be spent on these people who would, they, they will, has anyone else read like Amber Ruffin's book? You'll never believe what happens to what happened to Lacey. Because this was also very similar um, to a lot of the stories that were in that book, the office stuff, because I learned okay, a long time ago, because I was pregnant. Oh, Amber Ruffin. And the book is okay. You'll Never oh, Believe yes, What Happened to Lacey. Yes, love Amber Ruffin. But I learned in like my job that I, uh, the, op- the first office job that I had working amongst people who consider themselves white, I was pregnant and I realized the way that they were treating me, they did not care if I lived or died. And so um, I I learned then that I was not going to give my life to win these people's approval to be like, oh, now you're valuable. Now you're the whatever. Like I could care less. Mark, that scene. That scene in um and and boy he was talking about being in the dentist's office and and them doctors were talking about and like he was just not even there. I, I that's where it resonated when I just heard you know Kat talking about how how she felt. You know how how is that talked about in the medical spaces, man? I mean I know it's a big thing. I know people are starting to become more equitable in their practices and all that kind of stuff. But what we don't want to do is discourage our folks from going to see medical practitioners and we don't want our folks to lose hope out here on thinking that um because white supremacy shows up everywhere that it's got us because we're clearly doing our thing so you know mark just tell us tell us a little bit about you know 
um, the good stuff. Uh, you always keep me on, on the positive side of things. So, well, you know, Boya, Boya has some some negative run-ins with the medical uh, industry, but he needed them. So, you know, just talk to us a little bit about, you know. They did the root canal on the wrong yeah, So well, well, that's the thing. I and think that, that kind of speaks to why it's important to have, you know, teachers, uh, dentists, lawyers, physicians who look like you, right? Who can understand your shared experience. So although I may not have grown up where somebody down here grew up, at the end of the day, I'm black and I recognize that. And just like me and Boya share some shared experiences, I share with my patients. And it's amazing how many patients who I come who come to see me and say, I didn't expect you to be black. And I'm like, well, you got me. And then they and then, you know, this I'm the first black doctor. They've never seen a black doctor. And we have a different conversation because we come from a different community. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes and it's kind of hard to explain that to white doctors. It's not that you can't take care of these people. It's just I kind of have a better understanding, right? They and don't want to. Some of them. Yeah. Some like of them. A lot of them. Well, they don't a trust comfortable them. amount of them. Yeah. I, I, and and, and I, mm -hmm. I'm not here to defend them. I'm just saying I I don't try to, I to generalize everybody because I had some really good mentors along the way who told me, you know, you treat people the way they're supposed to be treated. Life is hard, whether they're gay, straight, black, white, Latino, you do the best thing you're supposed to do for them regardless. And I've had some other ones who weren't so good, but I I, mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel his pain. You know, I've had teachers along the way who try to discourage me and tell me that I wasn't smart enough to do this and I wasn't smart enough to do that. Um, you know, I, I had a I had a medical school tell me they didn't think I could function there, right? I mean, I get it. Um but somehow that just kind of adds to your story. But it's unfortunate because a lot of black folks and you read it all the time have these, you know, they go to the ER, they don't take their, their symptoms seriously and then go home and they die. The fix for that is to tell your kids to go to med school. <laughs> That's the fix. Damn. We can take care of our own. Can I also say another fix is to make sure that you bring someone to the hospital with you. A lot of times when you're ill, mm -hmm. you can't okay. effectively communicate. Or a lot of times, too, because like I said, like my voice when I talk, because I, I get so tired of hearing that the stories, because, of course, black women have such a high mortality rate, mm -hmm. especially during childbirth. And I've, I have two children and both of my experiences were just terrible, um, both with getting <sighs> prenatal care and delivery. And it had to do a lot with the fact that I'm like, extremely privileged with the education that I've had and the experiences that I've had that I don't let white people people who consider themselves white bully me like I bring it right back to them not with aggression but a lot of times just the lot the way that I talk they immediately are like I can't um dominate this person so a lot of times they stop engaging mm -hmm. but when I had to get prenatal care I was severely dehydrated I was turned away from the hospital my doctor sent me to the hospital and when I got there the nurse wouldn't admit me and so I wouldn't leave. I was like, I know that doctors outrank nurses. So you're not allowed to tell me that 
their order isn't valid. So I wouldn't leave. And so eventually she made me take a urine, a urinalysis. And then after that, she admitted me because she saw protein in my urine. And then her whole tune changed a lot of times, like in the book, when he would you know, he didn't have that cowed sort of slave DNA in him that made him back down to white people. So he would a lot of times just mm-hmm. keep engaging them logically until they couldn't keep doing the bullshit. Cat, do you think that's you think that's safe? Nothing safe. Nothing safe. Okay, fair enough. Nothing safe. So nothing safe. Okay. Let me, let me ask you safe. one more thing. Let me ask you one more thing, Kat. Mm-hmm. You said the way you talk. Boyer mm-hmm. said he could pick up on white folks and black folks' diction. Mm-hmm. And in school, we was taught that that's not true because you just, <laughs> how do black people sound and how do white people sound? Ooh, right? I'm so white when I'm on the phone. What do you, have... How do you talk? Tell me how you talk. I think so it's more than just... I, Let me hear your code switch. So yeah, I have no, a describe, so, I hear it. describe it. Describe my, it. What my is it name, to you? Like my legal name is very Anglo. So on paper and on the phone, I'm a white woman for as far as far as anyone knows. So during let's say for COVID, for instance, when we were trying to get the enhanced um, unemployment benefits, I had a much easier time than a lot of people because I called my senator like my state senator. Like I will get on there and I will I, I will completely use that voice to get what I want. And to know that, like, no, I'm not because a lot of times the way we talk that diction is an indication of class. Because have, have you guys read cast? No, but I heard no, you were going to read cast. It's fantastic. Yeah. So it's, you know, but well, we did read heavy and they were they were uh, in heavy. His mother was stressing diction and using proper English to get away with the police and. And he was brought up on that. And then eventually, uh, ultimately, he said that shit don't matter. Well, it, it does on the phone. Continue. In real life, it does not translate. Like when yeah. I show up yeah. to the hospital, it, they see just a black woman. It takes a while for the voice to get through sometimes. Even one of the medical, they were mm-hmm. like, are you in medicine? I'm like, no, I just know enough about my body to know what's going on right now. So, yeah, it's um, it's a minefield. And, and, but it's finally nice because when I was growing up in my all black neighborhood, they're like, why do you talk like a white girl? And it's like. I'm just talking the way the people around me talk, but now it's finally paying off. Let, let me hear your white girl vo- uh, voice. Is is this the white girl voice that you're presenting to us, me, or do you let have me, one? Let me. It's hard because it like it's easier if I hear a white voice because then I can go into it a little easier. Like I was trying to, I was uh, uh, had to call AT and T earlier this week, so I have to go. AT and T, how can I help you? <laughs> Hello, this is. Oh, let me give a fake name. Hi, this is Donovan from AT&T. <laughs> Hi, uh, this is Sarah. I'm having the biggest problem right now. I was hoping you could help me. Oh, no. Okay, What's yeah. going on? Wow. <laughs> what <are> you doing? <laughs> Boyer said that he could hear right. that this was a black woman in a white town. So yeah, like he and could that's hear, specific. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he could hear that and, she and, was and like. she showed up light-skinned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what did y'all think about the lawyer he went to? Meet I know who, her. Her name. I know who her. Didn't take his I, case. The first lawyer or the second you know, lawyer? The actual you know lawyer. Her? You know somebody like her. I know. The first lawyer. You know him. I know a lot of women like her. Yeah. Okay. Me too. No, I it like you actually no, knew. I, mean, her. I, I didn't even know. I knew that so lawyer. So principles. I didn't know I knew that lawyer until she told me yeah. her Bianca Taylor story, and I was like, wait a minute. So you. 
think she should have got shot? She's like, yeah, she was dealing with those bad folks. I was like, but they was at the wrong house. She's like, well, her past got her. And I was like, wow, you are deep in this. So yeah, yeah man, you fuck it's one drug dealer. Oh, I'm sorry, can you cuss on here? Yeah, we I, I cuss a lot. I mean, okay, I more. you fuck one drug dealer and you deserve to get shot. Yeah, it's, it's not horrible. at all. Drug dealers are um, some of the nice people on the we've planet. We've internalized that stuff. We've internalized that thing, and it's like what you even with boy, you know, him him riding the car. It's a slippery slope. Like like, what did he do wrong? Like you hanging out with these guys. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I know what we know what that looks like, but. I mean, I've, I've hung out with those guys, you know, and, and it's like you just want to be with the boys and, 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 and you're just hanging out. And, and But what did he do wrong? But, you know, the punishment fell on him, human. right? It was his little brother, rather. So it's a cold world. It's a cold world. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kat, mm-hmm. you said, sorry, it was breaking up. You know the lawyer? Or I know that know archetype. Like the I went to school with a lot of girls yeah. who... Okay who look like me and don't claim blackness at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, no, well, I think we all, I, 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 I know like quite I a said, few like you, I saw them in And we see it with some black men too, but in her case, it's like, I've married white. I live amongst the whites. If you mm-hmm. coloreds would get yourself together, mm-hmm. you could get on uh, this gravy train. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. um, yeah, um, so I'm not very particularly close to those types, of, but I definitely went to school with quite a few of those girls because and quite honestly, I think I was sort of reared to be like that, quite honestly, like the mm-hmm. schools that like mm. my my mom wanted me to go to like it was sort of she wanted me to graduate from blackness. Mm. I hope you enjoy Tune in next week as we cover part two of America Made Me a Black Man, a memoir by Boya J. Farrell. Remember to click subscribe, write us a great review, and share with your friends. Thank you.